Okay. As you can tell from looking at the sermon notes, this is a variety of passages, which isn't our normal want to do. We'd like to stay inside the context. But as I was looking over the Christmas story, and it is Christmas tomorrow, um, certain quotations struck out at me. If you, as you look at the book of Luke, and Luke is the one, is the narrative that everyone, you might say, goes to because it's the Charles Schultz narrative, um, Linus uh, giving the uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and following. Um, it has the shepherds and it has the, uh, uh, the prediction of John the Baptist and the Magnificat and the Benedictus and so I was looking at those things, the statements that some people made. And as I looked at the Magnificat, uh, which is in chapter 1 of Luke, and I have a portion of it here on the left-hand side, uh, because at some point you run out of paper, I couldn't help but think how wrong the Blessed Virgin was. It's a, it's a great, and I, we say, well, what do you mean? It's in the Bible, um, and she's the Blessed Virgin. And, but you, as you read through uh, her glorying in what has just happened, you will see a, um, you, you won't necessarily see right on the surface the Christian message, she doesn't know what's coming. She is feeling this benefit, a true benefit, a true recognition of something, but really not what this is all about. Because it's great and it's poetic and it's, and it's the blessing that falls on, on Mary as a common woman in Israel. She has to say something about it. Same with uh, Zechariah uh, a little later, uh, right at the end of chapter 1. And so I wanted to pull out the portions of the Magnificat and the Benedictus that, that seem to lead us to the other quotes that keep coming. What, what's, in other words, what is the meaning of Christmas? I hope I'm not going to title it that. Midway through the Magnificat, verse 50, it says on the left-hand side in the column there, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. It sounds like a good social justice warrior theme song. Overturn the wealthy, down with the man. And to some degree, Mary is feeling that and expressing that because God has chosen her, didn't go down to the palace and find, give me a princess, any princess will do, as long as it's a princess. Or go find the wealthy families, because we want to make sure that the Messiah's mom is one of the wealthy. She really does recognize a true thing that is going on there. God has sidestepped 
sidestepped earthly, uh, earthly plans, earthly advancements. He has done good to the low and he has dodged the high. But inside those words, a few of those phrases I bolded, his mercy is on those who fear him. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. The poor are not righteous because they're poor. The humble are not humble merely because they have to shop at, at a, a store with cheaper prices. That does not humble you. You are of humble status, but you are not humble. Just because you have nothing else, you don't automatically fear God. But it is true that in the tensions of this world, people who have access to the fast lane, people who have access to first world banking practices, and you are actually thinking about, I don't know if any of you are, thinking about purchasing the Bitcoin, When the cares of this world and the delight in riches sidetrack people, keeps them from being fruitful, says in the parable of the sower. But I don't think that's what God is coming in Christ to do. Here is Mary singing the song. She's visiting Elizabeth. And uh, when the two women meet, um, there was a reaction in John the Baptist in utero to the blessing of the mother of the Messiah being there, and she sings this song. Little does she know, like many of the prophets, little does she know that how she's speaking of it, adding up what she knows. She knows that an angel came and told her she was going to get pregnant. She knows she didn't sleep with any guy, and she knows she's pregnant. And this mirac almost miraculous birth of Elizabeth But as we build this, we're building it into the life of Christ. We're building it into what is actually going to happen. The memorable verse down there at the bottom of the left-hand side, and he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. It's easy enough to talk about others. We are the country of Jesus Christ. We're Christianity, Christendom. And uh, sometimes Jesus does and says things that we would rather adjust uh, to make us more comfortable, uh, much like people in Nazareth wanted to adjust Jesus so he would be more comfortable. So keep that in mind as you're going forward through this. In the Benedictus there by Zechariah underneath, I pulled out, it's a little bit clearer. He is the father of John the Baptist. And he's blessing God in order that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. That was interesting because Mary had just said, his mercy is on those who fear him, and then it is granted to us that we might serve him without fear. in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. 
Now, one of the things you have to know about our dealings with a loving and um, all-powerful, just God is that he is loving and just, and you're in trouble. Consequently, you walk before him in fear, but you bow the knee to his rule and his judgment. He forgives you, and the fear is removed. The perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. So righteousness, the holiness and righteousness that Zachariah is talking about him, all the days of our life, that we might serve him without fear, you and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's speaking of his son, John. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, when that day shall dawn upon us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah, maybe because he's a theologian, maybe because he's a priest, maybe because he's been around this stuff a bit, or maybe just because he hasn't talked for nine months, says a clarifying group of things. He knows what his son is being brought to do. He knows somewhat the nature of the salvation that is being brought. Now, those of you who've been to church here before, you're looking at these sermon notes and a dark foreboding has fallen to your midsection, right around here, above your diaphragm. He said, he's been talking for 10 minutes and he hasn't gotten off the left-hand side of the page. All the text still has been not touched, all the main text. And now he's talking about it happening. I'll be fast. Well, I wanted to lay the ground with those two things, because those two things happen in Luke chapter 1. You have the birth of John the Baptist and the Benedictus, and chapter 2 is the birth of Jesus, which, of course, all over the land, churches are preaching through chapter 2 of Luke. I was looking at some of the things that were said. Not, you all know the story. You know, you have, have nativity scenes somewhere in your house that represent the 28 wise men and the shepherd. But I wanted to look at some of the things said because I wanted to sort of carry the religion that is, that is being introduced to the world. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the introduction of the new covenant, what's going to become the new covenant, is happening in this moment. And to follow the thread of thought as people are sort of grabbed by the lapels and shaken up a bit. It gives us a hint of what we're thinking about or ought to be thinking about when we think about the meaning of Christmas. What I said on the left-hand side is both Mary and Zachariah there is an evident truth that they're touching on, and then there is a truth that is not so evident to them, just like the prophets did not know the things they prophesied of. Luke chapter 2, up at the top of the right-hand side page, right, right, right-hand column, you start to realize we're going to go through angelic things, some, something Simeon said, John the Baptist says, and Christ says. 
The angels say, Luke 2.13, and suddenly there was an angel in the multitude, in a multi, with an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, somewhere back in the Magnificat, your soul took a turn. You were going to believe the surface truth that you think you saw. And so you were picking out cards to send out. Picking out cards to send out. Um, you have this message. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men, period. Because you want Christian presence in this world to really um, stress the value that Thomas Jefferson saw in Christianity. All the good teaching of this wise moral leader, none of the fake miracles, none of this death and resurrection business. We want it to be like an Episcopal Jesus. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. What more could you ask? But God is not offering peace among men. Jesus himself says later, later in his ministry, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. You know what? Hold it. But this still says on earth peace among men. You say, Evan, you're not reading the rest of the sentence. That's right, because it's not on the Christmas card. But it's in the text, with whom he is pleased. That's who gets the peace of Jesus Christ. Those with whom Jesus is pleased. And this is an army of angels. When it says the heavenly host, host is not a word for lots. The heavenly host, it's like the heavenly legions. The heavenly battalions. The third army of heaven is singing over a field to these very surprised shepherds who undoubtedly it wasn't a lot they said they didn't write down all the song probably but they got the main theme correct when it said at the end of the benedictus there on the left hand side the last phrase to guide our feet into the way of peace you've got to figure out whether the coming of the Christ what was it laying down as a way to peace? And a lot of people think that forming the United Nations, thinking globally and not whatever it is locally, doing unto others as you would be done by, that's good. But what is the way of peace? Because that's what we're being guided into. That's what John the Baptist is coming to earth to announce a Messiah that's going to forgive sins. And some kind of day will dawn on us from heaven. Something is going to, you're going to realize something. And you're either an earthly human utopian where you think you can co-opt Jesus Christ into shaping some kind of Christian version of you know, good times in America, whether you think it's going back to the 50s or advancing somewhere into the next century where we'll all, the lion will lay down with the lamb. There's going to be peace to you if God is pleased with you. That's what the angels wished. 
And of Simeon, in chapter 2, verse 27, inspired by the Spirit. This is the old guy that's in the temple. They're bringing, brought Jesus to be, uh, um, the rites of purification to be done at the right time for a baby boy, and that's evident, I think it's 33 days. I forget. 33 days after birth. And uh, I don't want to get into that. I was going to tell you when Herod died, or when Jesus was born, sometime in March, I think. Um, not even close to December 25th. But they're there for the rites of purification. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and you can imagine this, I've picked up a few children in my day. Nick Rozier was over the other night, and last night, and was picking up, uh, what's her name? Rona. Rona, thank you. Um, uh, and, 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 and anybody who's had their own kids and then sees grandkids, you know how to handle them, you know. You're not surprised, not like a college student holding one. But you're an old hand at this. And Simeon, you know, picking up a child who walked into the temple, and I don't think there was an aura around Jesus, you know, some sort of glowing little baby face. Took up, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to thy people Israel. I mean, Simeon sums up what you then see with the, the, the outreach of the Christians and the apostles of a revelation to the Gentiles and a glory that of the, of the people of Israel was the Christ. That is a glory to the, the Israelite nation. It's like, you know, like, well, I don't know how you guys feel, but we Scots are pretty pleased with the quality of Scott that has come out of the race. And you might be something else, who knows. But the Israelites, they can claim the Messiah. And a lot of, a lot of famous Christians, St. Paul and others. But a revelation to the Gentiles. And this is a surprise to mom and dad. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. It's only been a month and a half since he was born. It's only been a month and a half since... The 28 wise men showed up and the shepherds and, and a star over the stable and dreams from the Almighty and the trip to Egypt and back again. They've been busy. They've been busy you know, running all sorts of... Uh, and they all know. They know that the child is born. Is born of God and therefore the child shall be called the Son of God. That's what Gabriel says to Mary. They know this. And how normal life sits on you in such a way that you think it's going to be according to the imagination of your heart. You start designing what kind of religion it's going to be, because Mary's not going to come up and tell you, I think he's going to be killed for your sins. She starts laying up all these things in her heart, that's true. But we don't really realize how the coming of the Christ leans on all of us. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall 
and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. It's getting grim. Nice old man, Santa figure, holding the baby. Oh, by the way, lots of people are going to hate him. He's going to overturn a lot of things, and you're going to get hurt. You're going to suffer in some way. That the thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. Because Christ is coming. Because the Magnificat is true and the Benedictus is true. But it, it, we don't build our religion on the superficial truth that Mary says in the Magnificat. We build the real truth of the gospel. In what Simeon is saying. That the hearts, our motives, our thoughts will be revealed. And there'll be a rising and a falling. And she was talking about who was high and who was low. And how God has blessed the lowly. And God has overturned, scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Christ has come to reveal the imagination of your hearts. The thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. You begin to realize that a lot of people cover. A lot of the rich cover their greed. A lot of the poor cover their greed with designed imaginations. Things that are not revealing. But Christ is here to bring that all to the surface. Including Mary's. Mary's not sinless, regardless what myth says. Mary's not sinless. She's done wrong. She's going to feel this sword as well. And as you walk through this, this whole Christmas story, we just jumped over the baby in the manger bit. The next chapter is John the Baptist, that, that kid that Zechariah was saying, this guy's going to be laying some of the groundwork. We're watching in these verbal statements by people what they're making a claim about Christianity coming into being in Christ. John the Baptist in chapter 3 verse 15 as the people were in expectation and all men questioned in their hearts concerning John whether perhaps he were the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water but he who is mightier than I is coming. The thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And you're saying to yourself, oh John, please don't say anything more. Please don't say, oh he's going to say something more. Because John's that way. He wears camel hair shorts. He's not putting up with our desire to have a truncated, simplified, sweet and nice Christianity because something is happening that is not just the revelation of the justice of God about the sin of man, but it's the mercy of God for the sin of man. And it's got to be a mercy far greater than just God looking down in a beneficent old man way and saying, okay, it's all right. This is the kind where his son dies. This is the kind where he dies himself because he is the son. His winnowing fork is in his hand 
to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Oh, thanks, John. Thanks for bringing this whole moment down. Couldn't we just hold hands around the tree and sing uh, chestnuts roasting on an open fire? Has anybody here had a chestnut roasted on an open fire ever? Two people. I knew it would be you guys. Was it in New York? No. What do they taste like? They taste like chestnuts. Don't say they taste like chicken. We'd all like to have those moments. We'd like to walk through a Macy's and just feel the spirit of Jesus. All the red, the gold, the sparkle. John's not of that persuasion. He lives someplace else. He eats certain things that you don't. And he says, I'm looking at the Christ. I'm laying the groundwork for him and his winnowing. You don't know, winnowing. You go. I like, I like the threshing floor imagery. It's such a good one. The, even the temple was built on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And it's just a good image. It's where the grain is separated from the chaff by usually a horse or a cow walking around the circle on top of it. And when they've stepped on everything, some guy gets out there on a semi-windy day and he throws it up in the air with a winning fork. And the chaff blows away. It's like panning for wheat on a really big pan. You'll figure out the heavier stuff falls back down, and pretty soon you've only got grain. The chaff you burn in the unquenchable fire. It sounds pretty stark. But Zacharias spoke a little bit of the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of their sins, guiding our feet into the way of peace. If we don't walk into this rather dark and sublime question about what did Jesus do, what kind of, what kind of magnificat is Mary saying, unknown to her perhaps, what is, what is coming with this Jesus Christ? If we don't, If we don't humbly seek this almost hidden mystery of Christ, uh, because we'd like to have a nice and tidy Christianity that our church provided you with the 10 basic steps to maturity, and you can phone in for their special helpline for any questions you might have. <coughs> the fear you should have, because even in the Lord's own country, People can be caught up in the imagination of their own hearts. You can craft, I can craft, any one of us can craft a Christianity that's fully acceptable to you. Just enough Jesus to make it look like it's Christian, not so much that it's revealed how much a person of straw you are. When we realize that the peace among men is with whom he is pleased. We want to start tearing apart the passages to get us to where we please him. That we're the wheat, we're not the chaff. Because Jesus, I forget with how the meme works. Um, it's usually somebody who says, I came here for bubble gum and, or 
I like to kick butt, and I'm all out of bubble gum. That's the way Jesus is coming to earth. There's a degree, whatever you think about the sacrificial aspect of the Lord's death, there is a victorious, triumphal aspect of the Lord's death. He is coming to defeat death. He's coming to prevail against the gates of hell. That's what he's coming to do. We want our religion to reflect our God, what our God was up to, and not go wandering off into a nice Christmas card in the angel's song, or into a, oh, isn't she nice, she loves babies, and this one's Jesus. What a better baby. And she sings this song. And we have all sorts of opportunities in her Magnificat to get off the rails. Because she's seeing that which is, but it's speaking really of something she's not seeing. As Christ has come on, now he's an adult. John the Baptist is saying this stuff. Well, he and Christ are an adult. So in the next chapter of Luke, this is all in Luke. You don't have to leave the, move to another of the Gospels. Luke 4, 16. This is Christ. And he stood up to read. This is the very beginning of his ministry. He's in Nazareth. And there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all of the, in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So far, so good. Jesus sounds a lot like Mary in the Magnificat. Looks like he dodged that rather rude comment by Simeon and the ruder comment by John. I'm here to thresh some wheat and I'm... Now look at that. Good news to the poor. Yes, the poor. It's a, the poor. Uh, release to captives. It's like a jubilee, right? Release to captives. Sight to the blind. Liberty to the oppressed. The acceptable. It's like he's some sort of utopian. And they like it. Of course they like it. You would like it. Evan, why can't you sound like Jesus more often? saying all these nice things about lifting the downtrodden. There's no problem with lifting the downtrodden. It's nice to do. There's no trouble with healing the blind. Christ did heal the blind. Do you think he's talking about that? Everyone is going, wow, what a, what a nice guy. They had no trouble with him, with him being that kind of answer. 
I mean, he just said, I am the fulfillment of this verse. And the Jews in the synagogue really like it. This is where your own people, this is Nazareth, where he's from, he knows all these people. It's like you coming back, you've been off at med school or something, I don't know, done something. Come back to Moscow, I don't know, visit all souls, you're a cellist in Nashville, and you had a kind of a revelation in Nashville that you were the next prophet of God. And you tell us here, and we're okay, as long as you don't say anything stark, we're cool. Jesus comes back to his hometown and he says something that you can misunderstand. And having misunderstood it because you want the imagination of your own hearts, you want the kind of goodness of life that you want. You want puppy corgis and you want, uh, what else would you want? Microfiber fleece throws that you could curl up in or your Snuggie and watch Netflix or most of you maybe Hallmark Christmas specials because that's the best of life and not get a cold. Jesus and John, what God is doing, this is bigger than that. Jesus takes this moment where he has just said what I'm here to do and they went, and I am the fulfillment of this. And uh, uh, they're going, yeah, good guy, nice kid. Like how he turned out. And he began to say to them, verse 21. Oh, excuse me. That's wrong verse. Is this not Joseph's son? 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here also in your own country. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. He just told them their acceptance. They accepted him. They, they thought that, well, that's a really gracious speech. Nice guy. Did it well. Thank you. Thank you. Have a free will offering for his ministry afterwards. He said, this is, not, this is not what you think it is because a prophet is not acceptable in his own country. But I tell you in truth, but in truth I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens, heaven was shut up for three years and six months, when there came a great famine over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. That's how he answers the situation. Because, because, he is a revelation to the Gentiles. He's not a warm and fuzzy moment for the Jews. He's glory for the Jews. He's a revelation to the Gentiles. And he doesn't accept Nazareth's synagogues. This is church hometown. You're the new prophet on the scene. You give them a verse that they can take in correctly, and they do. Because he is not bringing good news to the poor, like we're going to put you on a stipend. You will get this money. Good news. That's not the kind of good news. Not that kind of poor. Release to the captives, not those kind of captives. Recovering of sight to the blind, not that kind of sight, and not that kind of blind. 
and liberty to those who are oppressed. It's not that kind of oppression. So if you want to hear Jesus Christ and Christianity as it's supposed to be heard, when you see good news, release, sight, liberty, what does that mean to you? Are you just kind of Christianity applauding? Yeah, Jesus, good, yes. We'll put that on a, a, you know, we coexist in Christ. Have that kind of fuzzy feeling. Said, no, I'm here to set free those who are oppressed by something else. When we know, he says, this is at the end of that the acceptable year of the Lord. What's the way of peace? What, how do we please God? Is it misunderstanding, you might say, the framework of our faith being described, you might say, with metaphors about God's relationship to the poor. Your relationship to the poor is a good thing, a result, a kind of, telling Leslie the other day, what, how pleased I am to watch the saints of this body and other bodies in town, how they pick up the needs of other people. It's a blessing. It's a glory to the saints. But it's not what Jesus is talking about. That's a result of your faith, not the nature of our faith. We have to be finding the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. The day should dawn on you, and it should guide the way you live into the path of peace. Because the pleasure of God, the pleasure of God is on those who have pleased him. And when people don't, when Christendom doesn't like to see that left turn into, oh no, it's not about those kind of poor. But if they built their whole edifice on that, what happens now? They were filled, when they heard this, all the synagogue was filled with wrath. These people had just approved what they thought he said. And when he said, nuh-uh, this, this can't be right because a prophet is never accepted in his own country. They rose up and put him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down headlong. But passing through the midst of them, he went away. If we have another plan, Jesus is just going to annoy us. You, can, you won't be able to read your Bible much because you won't like what you find. It's like watching sausages be made, or laws, one of the two. You won't like what you discover in the process. He will annoy you, and instead of being a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be an attempted assassin of Jesus Christ. They were trying to kill him. This is not just, oh, a little a ditch, and they were going to throw him down into the ditch. They were more like an Acropolis situation. Take him to the top of the hill and throw him off. Jesus has to do a miracle, it seems. But passing through the midst of them, he went away. In other words, you have the mob suddenly, suddenly go nuts because what Jesus is here to do, forgive sins, forgive sins, especially of the Gentiles, be a revelation to the Gentiles, and that's what he brings up. Oh, you didn't know I was here to forgive the Gentiles. You didn't know? I'm a revelation to the Gentiles. Yes, this is going to be spoken against. 
And they did, and they went 180. Nice guy, great comment. Oh, you didn't mean that? We want to kill you. This is at the beginning of his ministry. People are trying to kill Jesus Christ at the beginning of his ministry. It wasn't hard for Jesus to get the Jews to the place where they put him on a cross because day, you know, first weekend, running around a town on a rail. We have a Christendom, though, in many ways, big, huge parts of it, that have ignored what Christ was here to do. And tragically, well, I forget who said it, some notable Christian back in the, either Chuck Smith or, um, maybe Chuck Smith, but, um, that if the Holy Spirit was taken up from the earth, 95% of Christian work would still go on. We've got it nicely arranged. We've got this thing you know, running like a top. But it was nigh and miraculous. Let me read that last line. Jesus walked through the midst of them and was gone. How much has Jesus Christ vanished from the lives that we create Christian, or how much is he central, what he's doing, central to our lives. I said last week how easy it is for Christmas to lead you away from the living God. You forget what Christmas, what's the phrase? What Christmas means. And it waded through all these kind of beautiful moments with beautiful poetry. What was he saying? Did I get it wrong? Did the people who are the most religious, who agree with it the most, get it wrong? Get it right. Look at those words. Get, spend some time in the Word if you have any. Spare time. I know it's the holidays. What was the good news? What's the release? What are you able to see? And what liberty have you been given? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your mercies, for your gifts at this time. Keep us always thrilled, most of all, with what your son really actually did, what he really came to accomplish, that we would be his faithful people of peace, that your goodness would rest on us and we would be kind and gracious to the world around us. Thank you for the forgiveness in your son's name. Amen.